Well, good morning. If you would turn to the book of Acts, chapter 8 this morning, as we continue our summer series of questions from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8. Philip has proclaimed Christ in Samaria, and now in verse 26, to the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shear is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, The Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And this narrative here that your spirit ensured we would even read this day and have in our hands your word, we pray you would open it to us and that as we work through it, we would glory in it, appreciate it, and learn from it. We invite you to change us, to conform us to the image of Christ, as your word with your spirit works upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
It happened in a moment, and it changed my life. Most of us ask the question at some point, are we there yet? At some point on a journey, you might expect to hear it, particularly when the destination seems so far off, just beyond the horizon, just beyond the fringe. There are places that are on the edge of civilization. They are mysterious, they are risky, they are outside the normal paths of travel. They are on the outskirts of towns, just beyond the fringe. As I grew up, I heard that phrase every day of my life. It was on the radio, uh, Ottawa Channel, and a little village outside of Ottawa used that as their slogan to try and entice people to come to their little village. They would say it was just beyond the fringe. Now our Ethiopian eunuch here in our text is from a place like that, just beyond the fringe. He traveled from what would have been in his day the area that we know today as Sudan. Stephanie's been there, one of our missionaries. This is where he would be from, that area. And it was considered to be really the southernmost part of the world in Roman minds. It was untamed, it was mysterious to Romans, it was far off. And Romans and Greeks called Ethiopia the furthest edge of the world or the ends of the earth. When they said, let's go to the ends of the earth, that was Ethiopia. And Ethiopia became synonymous for Africa. If you talked about uh, people of color, you were talking about Africa, and in the Roman mind, that meant Ethiopia. Now, it's interesting that the ancient world didn't care at all about the color of your skin. That's sort of a new novelty just in the last 300 years. The ancient world didn't care about the color of your skin. There's no evidence of widespread, widespread prejudice in the ancient writings at all. What they cared about was what family you belonged to, your class, your status, your education, and whether you knew the predominant languages, Greek and Latin, that's what they cared about. If you didn't know Greek and Latin, you were considered to be barbarous, a barbarian. The Ethiopian traveled up the Nile Basin and then across the Nile Delta. He traveled finally into Egypt, across Egypt. He went to the east, into the desert of Sinai. And then he worked his way up what was called the Via Maris, the road of the sea, to get to Jerusalem. And that was some 2,500 kilometers. <laughs> That's a long trip today. I can imagine him wondering all the time, are we there yet? <laughs> are we there yet? 
It was a journey that would have taken at a minimum two months, but that was at a great and extraordinary clip. Most figure it took him about five months. And now he's got to do it all over again because he's going home. He's from the fringe of civilization. And he's also on the fringe of Judaism. Our text tells us that he was in Jerusalem to worship God. Look at verse 27. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Candace was the title of the queen, not her name. It's like saying Caesar, same thing. They had the Candace. He was in charge of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem, verse 27 says, to worship, to worship God. That's a curious thing. He doesn't fit into Jewish society at all. He is a eunuch, we're told. Now, eunuch was, being a eunuch was common in pagan societies. There are young children present, so the easiest definition is that this man couldn't have children. He will not have his own family. And because of this, he couldn't go into portions of the Temple Mount, near the Temple, even as some Gentiles could go into the court of the Gentiles. He was very restricted in what he could actually access at the Temple Mount. He couldn't enter it for sure. And yet oh, he went all that way to worship God, to a place that he can't even go into. He knows something of the true God. He took this pilgrimage to Jerusalem. He wants to worship the one true God, even though he wasn't able to enter in fully. He would see the temple, but not closely. Clearly, he has devotion and dedication. You know, today, churches across the world are wondering how many of their flock are going to return once things open up fully. How many are going to be coming back to sit in church rather than on their couch for their online service? Some are saying they want that for good. They want to just sit with their coffee and their slippers on their own couch <laughs> until even that is too much for them. This Ethiopian on the very fringe of civilization, on the fringe of Judaism, embarrasses those who want what is convenient and easy. And we're told he has a copy of a book of the Bible. He has a copy of Isaiah. Wow. This is his focus of study. These would not be easy to come by. And it's interesting that in the book of Isaiah, there's a verse that's written specifically to eunuchs. He must have studied this. He must have memorized this. This must have been on his mind, being a eunuch himself with no family prospects. The verse, if you want to look it up, 
is in Isaiah 56. Okay, you can find it there. And this, let me read it for you. Do not, looking ahead to the future kingdom of God in its fullness, do not let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. I'm a dead tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name that is better than sons and daughters. Wow. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I mean, that's a message of hope. That's a, a message of, of legacy and a promise of God. You're not going to have sons and daughters in this life, he says, but I'm going to give you something even better than that. <laughs> I'm giving you a monument in my house. You're welcome in my house in glory. That is within my walls, he says. You are welcome. And you're going to have an everlasting name. It's like your, your name is not going to be finished because you have no children. You're going to have an everlasting name forever and ever. Those eunuchs who worship God. I imagine he, he knew these wonderful, precious, beautiful words by heart. Somehow, in some way, he learned of the true God. And he worshiped God, just like you did. Just in somehow, in some way, under the providential care of God, you learned of God. And you, he brought you step by step by step to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This eunuch from the fringe of civilization came all the way to the temple in Jerusalem to worship God. And he is on the fringe of Judaism not able to go in. And then things get very exciting, as you know, because an, angel, an agent of the Trinity visits. Look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, this is one of the seven, one of the deacons. He's also called Philip the Evangelist in the book of Acts. The angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. And we have the comment, this is a desert place. It, 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 it's, it's an empty place. It's in the middle of nowhere. Go down there and you're going to meet somebody. And he does. Somebody just beyond the fringe. Philip obeys. He just obeys. He goes. And what happens there? Verse 28. The eunuch is in his chariot, which was sort of like a covered wagon in those days. He'd have a driver, and, and, and he would be in the covered wagon, most likely reclining in some way. And he just happens to have the scroll of Isaiah with him, and he's reading it. And Philip will hear him reading, because this is hard for us to grasp, because we do so much in our head. In antiquity, they didn't do things in their head. They spoke them. It would have been unheard of to read in your head. 
always the reading was out loud. It was always. It was just how they read out loud. <laughs> That's hard for us to grasp. But at a time, of course, when there were a few books, usually, typically, they just got into the habit because they would have people around them wanting to hear what was being read. So they would read out loud, and that was just the way it was done. The Spirit instructs Philip in verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip, go over and join the chariot. <laughs> that is, this is why you're here. This is why I brought you to the middle of nowhere. This is the man. Go join him. And he does, verse 30. So Philip ran to him and heard him, because he's reading out loud, heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand what you're reading? Wow, does it get any easier than this? It's like uh, there's a knock on your door and the Amazon delivery person has your package. You open the door and they're pacing on your porch and they have the Bible open and he's pulling out his hair. <laughs> I mean, does it get any easier than that? He asks a question that if you ever have an Amazon fellow pulling out his hair with a Bible open on your porch, you want to ask as well. Do you understand what you are reading? Do you get it? Do you understand it? His response is promising. Verse 31, he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invites Philip to come up and sit with him as they roll along. Wow. Now the passage we have is given to us. The passage that is causing him uh, difficulty. The passage is Isaiah 53. I mean, most of us almost know that by heart. We read portions of that passage passage all the time at Lord's table, don't we? It, it, it speaks of the atonement. It speaks of Christ and his suffering. Through it, by his stripes we are healed. It's just so full of, of the meaning of the crucifixion there as he took our sins upon himself. And so he gives the passage in verse 32 and he quotes from the Septuagint, the Hebrew writing of the Old Testament, or the Greek writing of the Hebrew Old Testament. He says, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. This would have been particularly of interest to the unit because... He would have been reading it through his own context. Who can describe his, his legacy? Who can describe what comes after him? He died. He, he, of course, we know what came after Christ. It's us, the church of Christ, and all the brothers and sisters, and the legacy of God. But here, who can describe his generation? That would have got the Ethiopians' attention for sure. And so, what Isaiah is referring to is not the 
eunuch's concern. The question is not what, but who. Who? Look at verse 34. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this? About himself or about someone else? Is, is, is this about Isaiah? Is this someone else? I don't even have any idea who this is. Who is it? Some of you have most likely read the book, The Secret Garden. Some of you probably have seen one of the many movies that have been made from that book, The Secret Garden. It's a, it's a, a nice story. The orphan girl is sent to live with her irritable uncle and, and she finds in that great mansion in England everything is sad. Everything is gloomy. Everything is, is depressed. Everything is, is grieving. It's shrouded in grief. But then the girl finds a key, an old rusty key as big as her hand. And through the process of discovery, she finds this key lets her into a place of beauty and wonder and life, the secret garden. And everything begins to change. Grief is changed to joy, darkness to light, sickness to health, despair to contentment and love. The Ethiopian eunuch is asking Philip for a key. It's a powerful key. It's a key that is going to open up a place of wonder and life and love and joy. It's a key to understand the ancient words of Scripture in Isaiah 53. You see, there, there is no understanding the problems of mankind without the key. There's no opening God's plan of salvation without the key. There's no comprehension of how we can be forgiven of our sins without the key. There's no hope. There's no resurrection beyond the grave without the key. All the beauty and wonder of glory and the majesty of, of God's kingdom and the eternal kingdom without the key. It's not for us. The garden of God, the throne room of heaven. It's not possible to enter if you don't have the key. Without the key, we're in darkness. Without the key, it's grief and it's gloominess. Without the key, we can't be saved. Without the key, we will never understand. The key is Jesus Christ himself. He is the who the Ethiopian eunuch says, uh, is this about Isaiah or is this about someone else? It's about someone else. It's about Jesus the Christ. Now Luke makes that clear. Luke who wrote the book of Acts makes it clear also in the gospel of Luke, the first part of this book. 
I mean, Jesus began his very ministry by going into a synagogue and reading there, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Liberty to those oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll and it was Isaiah that he read from. He rolled it up and he said, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I am what it's all about. The key is a person, Jesus the Christ. And so look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, so he begins there, but he doesn't end there. He just keeps telling him all the good news of what God has done in Christ. He told him the good news about Jesus, <laughs> that Jesus had died for sinners such as the Ethiopian, such as Philip, such as you and I. And that all who put their faith in him are welcome in the garden of God eternally. Guidance was needed. That's a reoccurring theme in the book of Luke. There is scripture and then there is the witness to the scriptures. Philip is the witness here who opened the meaning of the scriptures to the Ethiopian. I mean, throughout the Gospel of Luke, the disciples are shown to be continually in confusion. They couldn't understand anything that was happening. Luke chapter 9 says they did not understand. And then uh, in later in that chapter, it says they understood none of these things. He, Jesus is talking about his death and resurrection. It says they didn't understand any of these things. It's like they're pulling out their hair. The saying was hidden from them. They didn't grasp what was said, the scripture says. But then after the resurrection, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He gave them the key. Look at, keep your finger here in Acts chapter 8 and just turn over to Luke chapter 9. The Gospel of Luke chapter 9. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke chapter 9 in the New Testament. Look at verse 44. Jesus has risen from the dead. <laughs> Verse 40, uh, sorry, Luke 24. Did I say Luke 9, right? Luke 24, turn there. Luke 24, look at verse 44. I'm sure one of you would have stood up eventually and said, where's verse 44? Verse 44, Jesus is risen. He meets, he appears to his disciples now as the risen Christ. Verse 44, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. So I told you this, he said, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, and the prophets, it's the whole prophetic literature of the Old Testament, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. He said, they all written, it, it's about me, he's saying. 
I'm everywhere in the Old Testament. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He's the witness himself of the scriptures here. And they understood and he said to them, thus it is written, where in the Old Testament? That the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. And I'm sending the promise my father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. So you are going to go out and witness to the scriptures. And to, you're going to go and take the key out into the world. Beginning at Jerusalem and then out into the world. The person of Jesus Christ. And that there is salvation in his name. There is forgiveness in his name. There is a future in his name. There is resurrection. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I mean, you can have the word of God and not understand it at all. Many people study the Bible their whole lives and they miss Jesus. They don't get it. It's such a sad thing, isn't it? They don't have the key. Perhaps here in our text where he opened their minds to understand there's something of the Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, something of his illuminating work. He, he, he lifts the veil of blindness and ignorance and fear, the Scripture says. Somehow they were, they were granted humility and understanding. Paul says this, For God said, Let light shine out of darkness. And he shone in, in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge the glory of God in the face of Jesus, Jesus Christ. In our text back in Acts chapter 8, I mean, we have the Holy Spirit present. We have Philip, the witness. We have the Ethiopian who needs the key. He needs to understand it's about Jesus, Savior and Lord. And Luke is stressing the need for a guide, a witness. Someone to speak, someone to tell, someone to explain the scripture to those who would receive it. But most won't receive it. Someone recently asked me, do you think the end of the world is coming? They were struck by all the happenings on the news and and they, they said it twice in the course of five minutes. Do you think the end of the world is coming? And I had a lot I wanted to say about that. I wanted to say, yes, I know the end of the world is coming. The scripture tells us because of the scriptures. And I wanted to witness to this person. I wanted to guide this person to understand that the problems they were seeing in the world were also problems in their own spirit and in their own life. That we are doomed without the key. That knowledge of Jesus can explain everything. For his divine power is grant to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence who called us into his garden. I wanted to tell them there is salvation 
for them. There is a loving God who expressed his love by giving a savior for them. I wanted to tell them that they were in peril of the judgment of God. If they stand in their sins on judgment day without Jesus the Christ, I wanted to tell them that he died for them and rose again and that all who believe in him will likewise rise and that the spirit of God indwells his children of faith and he's changing them and he's making them more holy. I mean, I wanted to guide them. I wanted to teach them. I wanted to witness to them to offer the key to the answer to the question. Do you think the end of the world is coming? But they wouldn't have it. They didn't want to be taught or led. As quickly as the question was asked, they gave no breath. And the words just poured out to make sure there was no spot where I could reply or respond almost in panic, they consumed the air with words and many words. They wanted the what, but they didn't care for the who. And they, as a consequence, have no understanding and would not receive. They wouldn't even wait for an answer. This person was living on the fringe and was unwilling to take the key. And could that be you even this morning? I mean, you couldn't study the Bible all your life and still face his judgment and be apart from God forever. You can come to church all your life and yet you won't go into the garden of God. The Ethiopian responds in faith, as should you. He responds to the proclamation of the good news in verse 35 about Jesus, that we don't need to die in our sins. We don't need to face hell and separation from God and resurrection to damnation that we we can live and, and come into his kingdom and wonder and beauty of it all. We can have life, not death. And what about you? He's on the fringe, but he clearly receives Jesus by faith. Because as he as Philip is telling him, he obviously also says that those who come to faith in Christ also want to give that symbolic testimony of their coming to faith, of their commitment to Christ, which is baptism. And the eunuch said, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? Well, nothing. Nothing prevents you, if you are a Christian, from being baptized except yourself. We have a baptism class, by the way, this, this Wednesday night. The baptism service scheduled. It's a picture of what Christ has done. It's a picture of going onto the water, death to self, resurrection life in Christ, alive to Christ. 
It's a picture that you are holding the key and that you have the devotion to him and are going to live that out all your days. When Luke wrote this gospel and the second book of his gospel, which is the book of Acts, scholars believe that Luke used primary sources. He was a, his, a doctor, a physician of the day, but he also was a historian. He loved history. He compiled it and he put it in certain ways and very linear. And, and it's clear that from the Gospel of Luke in the book of Acts that Luke conducted many interviews to gain primary, it was sort of a primary research thing. Um, for example, in the Nativity story of Christ, it's very obvious that he interviewed. At some point, he had sat down with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and interviewed her extensively. He clearly interviewed the uh, disciples of John the Baptist and Cleopas and, and others as well. But there's another man most likely he interviewed and we find that. Turn over to Acts 21. The book of Acts 21. And look down to verse 8. On the next day, we, that's Paul with Luke, who was his traveling companion and who wrote, this, on the next day we departed and came to Caesarea and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist who was one of the seven so that we not mistake this is one of the this is Philip the same Philip who spoke to the Ethiopian eunuch so they spent some time there and it says they stayed with him and this is most likely where he interviewed Philip and why particularly Philip, Philip's ministry is highlighted in the book of Acts chapter 8, both in Samaria and on that Via Mars, the road to the sea with the eunuch because they stayed with him. I'm sure Luke had many, many questions. And by the way, he would have, Philip would have fit in at people's church here. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. So there you go. Um, they were in ministry, his family. And while we were staying for many days, so they were there quite extensively. And so what we're reading, turn back to Acts chapter 8, most likely was compiled and learned by Luke directly from Philip himself. Look at verse 40, when the Spirit carries Philip away, verse 40 says, but Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. And that's where Luke and Paul would find him eventually years later in Caesarea, Philip the evangelist. I'm sure Philip enjoyed telling this narrative this incredible story as long as he was alive. I'm sure he, he loved to tell it. And I'm sure he was asked all the time to tell us about the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, God's salvation is offered to
to all. And all means all. There's no ethnic boundaries. There's no class or status or color boundaries. The book of Acts says this. It, it's the theme of the book. And you will receive power, Jesus told his apostles, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth the furthest fringe. <laughs> no barriers. No borders. No races that the gospel cannot go into. There's no racism. No tribalism. No pigment that matters. No shade or hue. All are welcome. And be sure, very sure, dear Christian, that there is no prejudice or any racist thought that might rise up in you. The Ethiopian is on my list to visit in glory. He's on my list. I, I booked it into my eternal daytime planner. And... Uh, you will want a book early because it's going to be a long list to hear him tell this story. Just don't book in this week, okay? You don't want to book this week. God designed it all. He designed that moment for him and for Philip when they encountered each other. I mean... You're going to want to know from the Ethiopian about how, how did you come to hear about God down in Ethiopia? You're going to want to know about what compelled him to take this long trip to Jerusalem. I mean, what was he thinking then? And maybe you'll get him to read Isaiah 53 just to hear him read it out loud. Tell us about Philip and tell us about Philip's words and what he said to you in the fullness of the gospel. Uh, Irenaeus, one of the church fathers, early church fathers, says that this Ethiopian eunuch became a missionary in Ethiopia, in the heart of Africa. We can appreciate the providence of God, the irresistible call, the sovereign God, you know, that spirit blowing out and arranging everything according to his perfect will. The spirit sends here, the spirit tells, the spirit takes Philip away. The journey, the scroll, the reading, the passages that he was reading, everything all prepared for that moment on that lonely road, that desert place. It was a salvation moment. It was a conversion moment for this man from Africa. It doesn't matter if the word of God finds you in a metropolis or out there on the fringe. <laughs> he goes everywhere. It happened in a moment and it changed my life because I was on the fringe of faith. I was on the wrong road in my early 20s, I knew of God and the Bible, just like the eunuch, but I had no one to tell me 
what the word meant. I had no witness, no one to open it up for me. I, I mean, I would sing with gusto, amazing grace. And I didn't have a clue what grace meant. And I didn't have, even have a clue that I didn't know what grace meant. But saved a wretch like me, I, never occurred to me even to stop and pause for a moment to think, what does that actually mean? What am I singing? I didn't know I was a sinner in need of grace. And my brother, who had the key, he came, visited me, and he put the key into my hands, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit had designed that moment of conversation. And suddenly, I could understand. The word came alive, and I repented that evening, and I purposed to follow Jesus as a disciple all of my days with his help. That's the moment that changed my life. And as you go home this morning, can you think of your moment when the key was put into your hands? When the who was answered? The Lord Jesus Christ. A witness came to you, a teacher, a guide to guide you into the truth of scriptures. And you were changed and you understood and you believed. And that moment was all orchestrated by God himself. The moment of your conversion, when all the arrangements and the planning, both obvious and mysterious, brought you to repentance over your sins and faith in the Son of God. And isn't it right for you to help others understand you will be my witnesses? Isn't it right for you to carry the key who is Christ Jesus, wherever you go, to everyone you're around with, that you're ready to share it and to offer it. Uh, we are welcome in his garden. The scripture says that he turns the wilderness like Eden and he turns the desert into the garden of the Lord. Are you there yet? Are you there yet? Some of you, you haven't taken the key. You are beyond the fringe of faith. You're in the desert, you're in the wilderness, and there you will remain. In waste places, the scripture says. Will you not understand? Will you not hear? Will you not humble yourself? Admit your sinfulness and put your faith in the one who took your sin and died with it and who rose again that you might have newness of life and the promise of the resurrection ahead <laughs> that you might have a future in God's garden. Would you pray with me? Father, take your word and seal it to our hearts work upon our own understanding. Lord, faithful witnesses came to so many of us 
and opened the scriptures and helped us to understand it's about Jesus. There's no one but Jesus and Jesus alone. Oh, we live in a world that doesn't want to hear, has a lot of questions, but won't even stop for a second to listen for an answer. They want to avoid any talk about Jesus. They want to disparage him and degrade him. And yet we are his people, Father, called by his name, Christian, followers of the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And reaffirm our devotion and our dedication as we come out to worship each Sunday and as we participate and study the scriptures together. You're doing a work in us. And may we go out and witness with this key and tell others, and help them to understand, to take every opportunity, trusting it's from you and that you brought it into being. You've orchestrated that moment for someone else. And so, Father, work amongst us. Discover those in our midst who are not yet disciples of Jesus bring conviction into their life, bring whatever's needed that they might hear and follow. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.